0: I believe the most important words in all of scripture, and actually the whole of our human experience, are these. God is love. There's a story told about a man who, after the American Civil War, decides to travel down to the South, when much of the South was only beginning to recover from what was one of the deadliest wars that America had ever experienced up to that point, and even has ever experienced today. He was a reasonably wealthy man and he was just wanting to start walking down south just to get a feel for what the south and what had happened during the war and how the beginning of this rebuilding was taking place. And as the story goes he's walking and he's just travelling fairly light because he, he's going to be walking a long way so he just sort of packs a sack with some food and some clothes in it. And as he's walking he comes to the outside of a little town where he's greeted by a young slave boy. And they just start talking and the man being from the north, this was really his first encounter with anyone who had actually been a slave and, 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 and especially a freshly freed slave. But what that really meant, no one really quite knew and so he wanted to find out. And as the story goes, they sat down together and the man started to ask the boy some questions. About this and that and and what it meant to the boy to be freshly freed and so on and so forth. And the man, just without kind of thinking, puts his hand in his bag and he pulls out an orange. And the little boy had never seen an orange before. And it smelled really good. And as the man just kind of prepared to peel it, he noticed the little boy was just staring at this fruit in his hand. So he asked the boy... Would would you like the orange? And the boy said, oh, yeah, would I ever. And so the man handed the boy the orange and he sort of leans back and he begins to talk to the boy and ask some questions and enjoys this brief rest from his walking. And he hears the boy munching and chomping away at the orange and he looks over at the boy and the boy said, mm, this is so good. I've never had anything like this before. And the man looks at him and says, Oh, is that so? Just wait till you get to the inside. Wait till you get to the inside. Here's this little boy. He thought he had just come across the greatest thing he'd ever tasted, and he was eating the outside of an orange. Have any of you ever eaten the outside of an orange? How does it taste? It's kind of strong, isn't it? It doesn't taste really good. Really, It's really citrusy. But, but can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the experience of that little boy when he got to the inside of that orange? Today, I want to take you to the inside of the orange. Because the reality is a huge number of us in the church and, 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 and you know, we're just satisfied with this outside of the orange or something called the rind of religion. We think, you know, the rind of religion, this is so much better than my former life. This is better than it, it was. I've never experienced anything like this. And we're munching away at the rind of religion. And Jesus is there and the Father is there and the Holy Spirit is there just looking at us and saying, just wait till you get to the inside. Well, we have to ask the question, what is on the inside? Well, the shorter answer is this. It's the sweet, juicy goodness called a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And too many of us have mistaken the rind of religion for the juice of relationship. I want to introduce you to this idea. God is love. As the very center of what true religion and true biblical religion is all about. Let's talk about these three words. God is love. In 1 John 4, 7-8, to 8, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I really love that idea that John's basically saying, let's love one another because love is from God. And if you're a loving person, then you are born of God. But look at verse eight, John says, he who does not love does not know God. So he's framed it in both the positive and the negative views. If you're a loving person, that's from God and you're but if you're not a loving person, that's not of God. And then, God, and then John summarizes it in that three-word phrase, God is love. Now for John, that's his conclusion. He uses the word for. In other words, on the basis of this, because God is love, everyone that loves and knows love extends love to others. That's a godly thing. In other places in both the Old and the New Testament, we find the prophets and even Jesus himself essentially saying that the essence of all of scripture, if you distilled the whole of the Bible down to a single idea, that idea would be culminated in this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so John wraps it up in this nice little package and he says, if you're a loving person, if you're a kind person, if you're a compassionate person, if you're a caring person, you are actually born of God. And if you're not a loving person, if you're not a kind person, if you're not a compassionate person, if you're not a caring person, then you are not, a, you are not born of God because God is love. Now I suggest this is yours and my very first step into reading the Bible, that every step center on this idea about who God is, what kind of a God he is, not merely on his character, but also on his very nature, his very essence of what kind of being are we talking about when we talk about God. See, if I ask you to imagine an elephant Most of you would get a a mental picture of a big grey animal with a long trunk for a nose and big flappy ears. What if I asked you to imagine a tiger? Most of you would get a mental picture of a really large cat with both orange and black stripes. Now, if I ask you to imagine a zebra, most of you would imagine something like a horse with black and white stripes. Is that not correct? We all get this immediate sort of mental concrete ideas of when I mention these animals. Now, what if I say, imagine God. Does anything, you know, does an image like an elephant or a tiger or a zebra come to mind? You might get some picture, but I'm sure that the picture that you have in your mind is is different to the picture that I have in my mind. But I'm sure that, All of your elephants and all, you know, all your elephants and tigers and zebras look similar to the picture that I have of tigers and zebras and elephants. But what are we talking about when we talk about God? The truth of the matter is, nobody really knows what God, what a God is. Nobody has any idea of what we're talking about when we talk about God in terms of his essential nature. The truth of the matter is that create as created beings that are born to the subject of death, uh, we are seeking to comprehend something that is infinitely, unlimitedly bigger than ourselves. So we don't really get to, you know, we don't really know what we're talking about when we talk about God. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul uses this language of a blind person groping feeling clumsily, awkwardly, looking for something firm, something to hold on to. And we lack this capacity. We lack the facilities. We lack the intelligence to really know what a God is. But then here comes this three-word phrase of God is love. And we get this point of access. We have a kind of portal into something that would otherwise be completely mysterious to us. Imagine, if you will, a huge curtain and and it's very appropriate for us to think of God in somehow totally veiled to us as as completely inaccessible to us as created beings. We don't know what what it is to be God. We don't even know what a God really is. We know some things like there's a single God of the universe because the Bible tells us this. But what's going on behind that curtain? What kind of a being is he? There are so many passages in the Bible that say things like this. As high as the heavens above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. There's a story in the Old Testament of Moses where he goes up to this mountain and Moses asks God, "Show him what God is like." And he said and God says, "I'll show you. I'll show you what I'm like, but there're three conditions." I have to put you in the cleft of the rock. I have to cover that cleft with my hand. And you can only see my back because no one can see my face and live. Now really, all of that is God's way of saying, you can't understand me. You have to be in the cleft. You have to be covered. You can only see my back because the difference between Moses and a God is infinite. An infinite canyon between creator and created. But here is this three-word phrase, God is love, we get this tiny point of access. A peephole, if you will. Imagine instead of a curtain veiling us from God, let's imagine it's a wall with a door in it. And this door is so big, so heavy that we can never really ever imagine to pass through it. But God is on the other side. And let's imagine in this massive door that there's a tiny peephole, a tiny keyhole, and we look through that peephole and while we can't make out everything, we can sort of see we can sort of see some little things and some things that are going on behind there. Well that peephole is this three-word phrase, God is love. This is essentially the most profound and one of the very few descriptions of what God actually is not what he does not how he acts but what is a god for example you know in the in the bible there's a text that will say god is merciful but there's no text that says god is mercy there's passages that say god is powerful but there's no passage that says god is power other other passages will say god is forgiving but there's no passage that says god is forgiveness But here, John goes a little bit further than all those other descriptions of loving and mighty and powerful and forgiving. And he says, God is. And then he doesn't give us an adjective. He gives us a noun. He says, God is love. Something about being the God that God is is described by that noun of love. If John had said something like, God is loving, well... That wouldn't be anything very special, would it? It's quite easy to believe because every one of us is loving at times and that's hardly a marvelous claim for God to make. But John goes that much further and he says that the very thing that makes God God, the Godness that makes God what he is, he says that God is love. Love. Now, wonder John says, wonder he says, if you're a loving, kind, compassionate, caring person, then you are born of God because that is the thing that God is. And on the other side, if you're not a loving, kind, compassionate, caring person, you are not born of God because God is love. Is there any better place for us to start than right here? One of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church wrote many books, but what would probably be one of, the, one of her most insightful and inspiring commentaries on the Bible would be her five-part series. It's something like three and a half thousand pages, beginning with a book called Patriarchs and Prophets and ending with a book called The Great Controversy. And in this five-volume series, it's very interesting that the author sat down to begin this extraordinary commentary on the, scripture, on the scriptures. And I want, you to read the, I want to read the very first paragraph on the very first page in the very first volume of this series. It says this. God is love. His nature, his law is love. It ever has been, it ever will be. Every manifestation of creative power is an expression of infinite love. It doesn't merely say his character is loving, it says his nature is love. See, here we have this access to the very nature of God and we're creeping up to that peephole and we're looking through and seeing some really extraordinary stuff. And as we draw back and we look at the peephole that we were looking through around the hole is this phrase, God is love. Now, all the way through this three and a half thousand pages of of Ellen White's five part series, this is now the closing paragraph. Let me read you the closing paragraph of the last book of the series of the final pages in in the final paragraph. Notice what is written here. It says, the great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From Him who created all, flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. When we open the Bible to read God's Word, sometimes it can be really difficult to know where to start. Especially in that journey where we're discussing who God is and what God is and how, how He interacts with human beings. But I want to suggest to you that the very best place for you and for me to start is the very place that Ellen White starts and ends her five-part series. God is love. Well, why did she begin that way? That way. Why did she start her books off that way? Well, the answer is there's no other place to begin. If you and I are going to begin a journey to discuss who God is and what God is and how he interacts with human beings, then there's no other place to begin than right there. God is love.